Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash. And you're listening to episode 143 of Chat Disney. So welcome back to another episode of the Chat Disney podcast. And this week, we are excited because as Tash said last week, we are kicking off Christmas month here on the podcast. It's December and we have got a plethora of Christmas episodes to get through. We're really, really excited about it. And what could be more exciting than kicking the whole Christmas festive season off with a full review of the Broadway, West End, I should say, version of Frozen that has come to London. Yeah, that's right. So Tash and I saw the musical this week. We saw it literally two days ago. And if you follow us on Instagram, you will have seen some photos that we took there. Very, very exciting. So we're going to be talking all about that today on the episode. And continuing with the theme of Frozen, today's segment is going to be our thoughts and our review of Olaf Presents, the brand new series of shorts that have arrived on Disney+. Plus. So we've got lots to get through and it is very much frozen fever here on the Chat Disney podcast today. But before we head into all of that, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. So first of all, heading over to Walt Disney World in Orlando, Carly River Rapids is finally finally got its reopening date so it's been closed for quite some time now and the attraction at animal kingdom is due to reopen on the 16th of december so good news if you're heading over to animal kingdom and that is one of your favorites and final bit of walt disney world news this week kylie jenner was spotted in walt disney world in orlando with her daughter stormy we know that the kardashians and the jenners are big big disney fans they're often spotted in disneyland in california but this was one of the first times that kylie and Stormy had been spotted at Walt Disney World and very controversially the family had the entirety of It's a Small World closed down so that she and her daughter could ride the attraction alone so make of that what you will as I say it's very very controversial over in the Disney community online Yes, and I can completely see why. And that's not the only bit of It's a Small World news today. Heading over to Disneyland Paris, and Mercedes, you'll be very pleased to hear that It's a Small World has been closed indefinitely. We don't know what this means yet. Is the ride having updates with no reopening date? Is it going to become something else? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, a refurbishment is the most likely, but, you know, we can hope and pray for a different attraction. And final bit of, you, of, of news for you all this week. It's been quite a quiet news week, and we are looking at Marvel, and we've spoken extensively about Spider-Man No Way Home over the last couple of weeks. It is all getting very, very exciting as we gear up for the release of, of that new Tom Holland movie. And something very interesting, another spoiler photo of Andrew Garfield has been leaked of him wearing wearing the new Spider-Man costume, which is just further accelerating these rumours that himself and Tobey Maguire are going to appear in this movie. Of course, he and Disney are all saying it's photoshopped, it's just fan fiction, it's not real. But really interesting, the latest photo that's been leaked has actually been removed by Sony. So Sony are suing and pursuing the leaker, which, you know, would you go to that much effort if it was a photoshopped image? 
I'm not sure, but the rumours have certainly got fans speculating that we can expect to see Andrew Garfield in this movie. And that is pretty much everything that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. We're now really excited to head into today's episode, which is our full review of the brand new Frozen musical in London's West End. So as we said in the intro today, Frozen is a musical that debuted in Broadway before making its West End debut in the UK. And Tash and I were due to see this, I think it was February originally, and then it got pushed to April. So we've been very, very patient and finally got to see Frozen, the musical, on Saturday, so two days ago. And we were so excited. We've been speaking about musicals quite a lot on the episode recently with both myself and Tash having seen Hamilton fairly recently. Tash also got to see Mary Poppins in London's West End. And I just saw Beauty and the Beast in Edinburgh as well at the Edinburgh Playhouse. So we've definitely got the musical bug at the moment, haven't we, Tash? We have, yes. It's been all Disney musicals here on the Chat Disney podcast. And yeah, like like you said, we were both very excited. I would say I was a little bit apprehensive, maybe. Frozen is not my favourite story. It's not my favourite Disney movie. Um, and I think they started releasing adverts for it on the TV. And I feel like when West End productions and shows do that, it kind of cheapens it a little bit. I don't know why. So I started to get, when I started seeing those, I started to get a bit worried that it was going to be very much aimed towards smaller children in the same way that I said Mary Poppins was more. Um, So yeah, I kind of went in with quite low expectations. Yeah, I think my expectations were fairly low, to be honest, as well. Frozen is a favourite of mine. It's definitely in my top 10, maybe even my top five Disney classics. So it wasn't so much that. It was more, as you say, that I was slightly concerned that it would might it would be targeted at a slightly younger audience. And, you know, we, we did a full review of the Aladdin musical on the Chat Disney podcast a, a few years back. And... There was something about that production. Yes, it was a Disney West End production and it had the quality that you would expect to see. The sets were beautiful. The costumes were gorgeous. But you and I both agreed that it had an almost pantomime quality to it. And I was slightly concerned that we might see that with Frozen the musical. So that was something I was a little apprehensive about before we went into the show. So I guess... Today's episode is definitely going to have spoilers. So if you think that you might see the Frozen musical in the future and, you know, you you, you don't want to be spoiled, then I would probably recommend saving this episode for a future date. But that said, you know the story of Frozen, right? We can't spoil it too much. So I would use today's episode, if you've not seen the musical, as a guide, really, to inform you as to whether or not this is something you want to go and see. The tickets are not cheap. We certainly didn't have the most expensive seats. We were in row four in the stalls. So, you know, very, very close to the stage, but we were off center. And because of that, we didn't pay a premium. And even still, I think we were maybe the third tier of tickets in in terms of price bracket and we paid a hundred pounds a ticket so if you're looking at a family of four that's 400 pounds this this isn't a cheap trip so yeah take today's episode with a pinch of salt i mean it is it's just our opinions i'm sure if you speak to somebody else they might tell you something entirely different but i do think today's episode will be a good way to navigate whether or not this is a good musical for you to go and see 
Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. So where should we start? Let's try and break this down a little bit. So we're going to talk about characters and casting. We're going to talk about set. We're going to talk about the story and also the new songs as well, which there were actually quite a few of. So should we start by talking about characters and casting? Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. And we didn't really see anybody famous in the production today. The only character or or actor, I should say, that Tash and I were familiar with going into the production was, uh, I think his name's Craig, an actor who appeared in Footballers Wives, if anyone can remember that trashy 90s ITV show that we had over in the UK over here. And he actually wasn't in the performance that we saw. We had an understudy. So, yeah, we were we were completely blind, if you will, to the cast. There, there weren't any celebrities in there. So there wasn't any bias to, to talk of. Samantha Banks or Barks, Banks, I think it is, who plays Elsa Barks. My, my apologies, Samantha Barks. She was somebody who I did recognise and she's appeared on one of those Andrew Lloyd Webber BBC reality shows before I think it was I do anything which was the the uh, series where they were trying to find Nancy for, for Oliver in the West End so slightly familiar with her but yeah we, we, we didn't know any of these actors and I have to say I was really really impressed we had understudies for Olaf and also Christoph and I thought that Olaf was absolutely sensational I would be really keen to see the actual Olaf, because I would, apart from Josh Gad himself, I would struggle to see that anyone could do as good a job. So I was, I was blown away with Olaf, to be honest. And Christoph, unfortunately, was quite forgettable. He wasn't bad. He had a great voice. Everybody did, but he was pretty mediocre. And so I would be curious to see what the actual Christoph would, would be like. And if he would play that character slightly differently. So yeah, they were the only sort of, um, replacements understudies that we had during our production Tash why don't you talk about our our main characters and and talk a little bit about Anna and Elsa so we had let's start off with the portrayals by the children that we had because they are the ones who opened the show they're actually in it for quite a significant period and they have I believe it's three songs sort of back to back so it's quite an intense bit of performance I would say for children that young and Oh my God, these children were absolutely incredible. At one point, I almost thought I was like, are they lip syncing or miming this because they are just too good? And then Mercedes turned to me and said, are they actually American? Because their voices, again, were so good. But yeah, I I cannot fool their performances. Everything about them was so on point. I think the way that both of them played the characters and Anna with the sort of more playfulness, hyperactive, the energy, and then with Elsa being a little bit more, um, I don't know, you could tell she was the older one, you know, she's a little bit more sensible, but still sort of giving into that playful side that Anna has. I think that the way that they complemented each other worked amazingly. And I honestly don't think I've ever seen children actors in the West End that were as good as them. They were so good. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, again, it's it's as you would expect in the West End, it's a rotating cast. So there's four different combinations of, of young Anna and Elsa. And the two that we had were absolutely incredible. Young Anna, I mean, if it's possible to give too much energy, I think maybe she was borderline in that area. But in terms of the voice, the ta- I mean, oh my goodness, it, it could have been the recording, as you say, Tash. It was uh, it was sensational. I absolutely couldn't fault either of their performances um, in that respect. So yeah, fantastic. Really, really impressed with, with young Anna and Elsa. As you say, they were actually in 
a, a significant period of the first half. And then, of course, it was the moment where the mother and father go to sea and they pass away. And then the characters were replaced with the older Anna and Elsa, portrayed by Samantha Box. And I don't know Anna's name. I don't know if you've got it to hand. Stephanie McEwen. There we are, Stephanie McEwen, who I believe is Irish, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, she was born in Dublin. Yeah, there you go. I, I picked up on that a little bit when she was singing. I didn't pick up on that. I didn't notice that. It's very subtle. And I think I maybe read it before. And so I was kind of looking for it. Yeah. That makes sense. I thought she was, I thought they were both actually fantastic. Again, I think that she had that really good thing. Like she managed to capture the energy of Arna. And I thought she was really good. I thought she had a fantastic voice. And then Samantha Barks as Elsa. Elsa, I think I've said before on this podcast, is a character that I find it very difficult to warm to. And I think there's a part of you that is meant to kind of feel like that. Like I find her quite intimidating and she's not a warm character when you compare her to Anna oh that's really trash I know (laughs) but I really really liked what Samantha Barks did with her character and how she portrayed her um and I know that you were very much blown away by her Mercedes yeah I mean hey I do like Elsa I find Anna in the first one I I don't, I just don't, I don't warm, to use your your um, terminology there. We are talking about Frozen after all. I don't particularly warm to Anna as much in the first one. And I do find that I'm alone in that. I know there are a lot of people that say they, they prefer Anna to Elsa. Perhaps it's because I am the big sister. You're the younger sister in, in your family. Maybe it's because I'm the big sister. I don't know. But I think it's probably more just because she's the iconic princess right she's the main you know if you see a a frozen lunchbox and it's got one character on it it's going to be Elsa I think that's probably why I'm more drawn to her she's more um what am I trying to say more impactful that's not the right word I mean prominent I don't know more, more of an icon I suppose now I have heard frozen Let It Go, the song, the main big song from Frozen, you all know Let It Go. I've heard that song sang live many, many times, mostly in Disney's California Adventure. I think I saw that show three times there. Fantastic cast, you know, it's California. You've got aspiring movie stars and actors to to take your pick from. So I've heard Let It Go sung live many, many times. I've also heard Idina Menzel sing it live not in person, but at the Oscars and at various different performances that I've watched online and, and on television and that sort of thing. I can honestly put my hand on my heart and say, without a shred of doubt, Samantha Bach's version of Let It Go was absolutely the best live version of that song that I have ever seen. I would say it's the second best version of the song I've ever heard, and it's only second to Idina Menzel's version in the movie right? I've heard Idina Menzel sing that song live. As I say, go watch her Oscar performance. If if not just to enjoy John Travolta butchering her name, go watch her version at the Oscars. It's not that great. And Samantha Bach's version was by miles a better rendition. So I was absolutely blown away. And I mentioned this to Tash a couple of times yesterday when we, when we came out of the theatre The problem that I have with that song with Let It Go is it's actually really deep in the beginning. It's quite soulful. And I often find that 
if an actress nails that bit, and that that's the bit that Idina Menzel really, that like that's her trademark, those really soulful, deep, like juicy, like the, the tone of the beginning of that song is amazing. But then you've got that high note, right? That that crazy, crazy high note. And I've heard actresses that nail the high note, but the deepness in the beginning is not is not soulful or smooth enough, right? But then you hear actresses where the beginning is fantastic, but the high notes are a little bit pitchy. She was effortless. I didn't even notice the transition between the two different tones and vocals that are needed for the song. And I'm not a singer, so apologies that this is not a technical explanation. I'm sure anyone musical knows exactly what I am talking about. But it was just effortless. It was, yeah. It was It was incredible. Like, I... I kind of forgot that I was watching a show on the West End. I know West End performers are amazing anyway, but yeah, it was, it was so good. Like I was completely captivated by her whole entire performance. I thought she did amazingly. Um, And then a couple of our other characters I want to talk about. So you mentioned Olaf in the beginning. um, And there's probably a lot of people that haven't maybe either seen the show or they haven't seen any images of the show and wonder how Olaf is done. So it's kind of similar. This is a spoiler here. So it is kind of similar to how Timon is done in the Lion King West End Broadway production. So we have the puppet of Olaf, which is identical to Olaf from the movie. And then we have the actor behind him. But there, so Olaf's feet are on the actor's shoes. They're very much connected in that way. And then the actor controls Olaf. So he's controlling his arms, his mouth, his eyes and at the first I thought because I found it a little bit with Timon in The Lion King I find that a little bit distracting like never knowing which character to look at but I think the guy who played Olaf in this version and as you said it was the understudy he did a fantastic job of I mean it was so clever it must take so much practice to master the puppetry behind this but every time Olaf did something so a facial expression, for example, let's say Olaf had his eyes wide open or his eyebrows raised. This actor did the exact same facial movement. Like they were so connected that you did just see them as one character. It was really, really well done. And then the voice as well, because obviously in the movie, Olaf is voiced by Josh Gad, who has that really, I mean, iconic for Olaf, that voice. You hear Josh Gad speaking anyway, you close your eyes and you always think it's Olaf. And that, again, is something that I was a little bit worried about because that voice is so synonymous with Olaf. But this guy, I think, he made it his own, but he did just such a fantastic job of it. I was really, really impressed by him. Yeah, so the big difference here for me, I mean, Timon does the same thing in The Lion King with the facial expressions and so on. But in The Lion King, Timon is green and he, the actor that plays him is green and he's covered in foliage And it's almost like you're meant to forget he's there. It's almost like there's actually a moment where Timon does kind of lean back onto the green as though he's like taking a snooze. So you're almost meant to forget that it's being controlled by an actor and just focus on the puppet. It's encouraged. The difference with Frozen is that they dress the actor in a white outfit, like a nice sort of Norwegian outfit. And he's got a white bobble hat with a little orange bobble. It's what Olaf would look like if he were human, right? So he's an extension of the puppet. He's Olaf as well. He's not meant to be a bush that you, you know, suspend your disbelief and and just look at the puppet. And I think that Disney have learned that from The Lion King because I found Timon. You do get used to it if if you go and see The Lion King, but it does take a while to sort of suspend your your um 
reality and, and, and just focus on that puppet. Whereas in Frozen, they invite you, I feel, to look at the actor as well. He's very much an extension of Olaf, I feel. Yeah. So that's the difference there. Speaking of puppetry, we've got to talk about Sven. So Sven was a really interesting one. It's very much a contemporary and more sophisticated version of a pantomime horse. It's two actors, two actors that portray Sven. In London's West End, you actually have a man and a woman. And we were reading the program and found that the woman that portrays Sven is actually the first ever woman to play Sven on Broadway or on the West End. So that's exciting. But unfortunately, we don't know if we had understudies or not because you don't see these actors at all. They are fully inside the Sven costume. It must be very difficult, very challenging, very hot in there for those actors. And we still can't really figure out how they did that. So that puppetry was very impressive. Yeah, when he, again... There were so many bits when we were watching it. I was just so engrossed by what was happening in the here and now that I forgot about. So when Sven comes bounding onto the stage for the first time, you kind of hear like the gasp from the audience. Um, and yeah, I I keep thinking about it now and I still can't figure out how there were two people because he wasn't, I feel like he wasn't massive. So these people must have been tiny, but I can't, I just can't work out like who, where whose head was where and... I don't know. It was it was really, really well done. Yeah, absolutely. And they must have been entwined in some way because there's no way that this Sven, even if they were small people, was the you know human height of two humans. Like, it just wasn't. So, yeah, I'd be really fascinated and interested to find out exactly how that was done. So that's really exciting. And then the other sort of noteworthy characters, Hans, he was perfectly fine he had a lot more airtime and and more songs than he does in the movie they really extended that character for me he was just a bit meh he wasn't that great I think it doesn't help that I've just seen Beauty and the Beast and Gaston was such a presence in that that I couldn't help but compare I mean Hans is basically a poor man's Gaston anyway isn't he so I, I wasn't really blown away with Hans but I'll tell you what I did love we've got two very I wouldn't even call them secondary characters I'd call them like tertiary characters in the movie and that's Oaken and also the Duke of Wesselton and they really really extended both of those characters Oaken even has a brand new song and that was actually the only new song that I thought was good so for me I that was probably my highlight aside from Anna Elsa and Olaf who for me stole the show I would say that I thought Oaken and the Duke of Wesselton having much bigger presences and being the sort of comic relief that we really needed I thought was fantastic yeah I completely agree with that I think both of them nailed those characters a hundred percent um, yeah, so I think we've pretty much touched upon all the noteworthy, worthy characters. So let's talk a little bit about story. Um, so it does very closely follow the Disney version that we all know and love. We do have those new songs added into there. We'll talk more about those in a little bit. Um, but in terms of the story, I thought it was really, really well done. I mean, I, thought, I found in the beginning, actually, it was very much song, song, song. It didn't seem to be much talking. I don't know if that was because they had the children and it was easier for them to do the singing than loads of uh, conversing and interaction in that way. I don't know, but it found very song, felt very song heavy. And you actually made the point that they bulked out the first half so much with so many new songs. So Let It Go could be 
the big finale before the interval. Um, but yeah, I don't think there were any ma- massive changes to the story. I did like, so as we were saying at the beginning, we were both a little apprehensive that it was going to be more geared towards children. I liked that they did throw in quite a few adult references. So you mentioned the song with Oaken, Heige, Hoog, I can't even remember how you say it now, but yeah, that was a fantastic piece. And you had that comedy moment at the end where all the kind of dancers are naked. Obviously they're in like body, full body stockings. But that I thought was hilarious. And I thought that was a little bit more geared towards adults. And then in Love is an Open Door, there were quite a few moments where like, it was almost not, I don't want to say inappropriate, but it was very much like Elsa with her, Oh, sorry, Anna with her leg wrapped around Hans. And then I swear there was a bit. So we were sitting on one side, so we couldn't really see. But his voice sounded really muffled. And I swear he had his head buried into her chest. I completely forgot to say that to you because we couldn't really see because his back would have been to us. They were over at the other side of the stage. But that's definitely what it sounded like. And then they have that massive long kiss at the end when everyone kind of comes back on um yeah there were just quite a few things like that that I liked that they had thrown in that it was a bit like oh this is a little bit x-rated for Disney yeah I agree with you and that yeah there were loads of moments like that I don't remember him muffling his head into her chest but I remember there was a moment where she kind of moved her hand south down his body and then stopped before it got really inappropriate and that moment that really long kiss that you just mentioned all the other actors that came on stage started kissing and wrapping their legs around it gave me like dirty dancing vibes when they walk in with the watermelon it was it was almost you know a step away from that I completely agree with you I think the other thing aside from adding some adult context to the story that was different was the addition of Frozen 2 narrative now it was very subtle so Tash and I are pretty sure that this has been added since the release of Frozen 2 but we actually don't know and I'm really curious to know because you know that the, the Anderson Lopez's would have been putting these songs in to you know these additional songs into the Broadway production at a similar sort of time to when they were writing the, the, the music for Frozen 2 so they would have known the Frozen 2 narrative so I wonder how that's worked if they weaved some of that Frozen 2 narrative into the Broadway or if it's been added I think there were some bits that were really obviously added after for example during In Summer Olaf says Samantha which obviously you know that's been ad-libbed maybe even by the actor because of the release of Frozen 2 but what I loved for me just to make the whole thing cohesive is that the trolls were actually adapted so they weren't trolls they were a townspeople that live in the villages and they were actually referred to as Northundra in the opening they were called the Northundra which is obviously the community that we see in Frozen 2 a very different community of people to the ones that we see in Frozen 2. They all had tattoos and dreadlocks and they wore just kind of foliage, like Tarzan-esque foliage, rather than, you know, just being like Icelandic, Norwegian, Slovakian, European type people that live in the mountains. So they were slightly different, but I like that they spoke about them like that. We see the mother sing the song. They tell the staff to leave the bedroom when Anna is blasted with Elsa's powers and she sings the song. And it's like the mother and father are trying to keep it a secret that she herself is Northundra, which we learn in Frozen 2. Thought that was awesome, really remarkable. And the other thing that I picked out was when the mother and father go off on the ship, they actually acknowledge to Elsa we're going to find a fix for your magic. And we learn in Frozen 2 that that's why they made that voyage. So very, very small, 
you know, blink and you'll miss it moment. I think they probably were added after the debut of Frozen 2 because you'd be very confused watching it like, oh, what? That's why they're leaving. Um, Yeah. And also, I think just while we're talking about story, the Frozen 2 stuff's awesome, but the story in general was a bit richer. There's that moment when Anna says to Elsa, wait, did mother and father know about this? And she's like, yeah, they knew, they knew. And she's like, well, how comes I didn't know? And she's like, well, we went and we, you know, we we changed your memory so that you wouldn't remember because I hurt you. Like, how do you think you got that white strand of hair? Like, she actually explains it to Anna and we don't see that happen in the animation. No, we don't. Yeah, I, I liked all those references as well. And I think a lot of people maybe would have missed them. I think with the trolls I found was an interesting one. I really don't like the trolls in Frozen normally. So I wasn't sad that they weren't there. And I really do not like the song Fixer Upper either. And so I think the fact that this was done slightly differently, I really liked that. Actually, that was probably one of my favourite songs in the whole thing. Fixer Upper? Yeah, I really enjoyed, not the song, but I enjoyed, I like the big numbers where you have everyone on stage together. And that's what I liked about that. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. Like I said, my favourite Beauty and the Beast songs were Gaston's song and be our guest like and you don't really have a song like that I guess in Frozen and I'm also not a huge fan of Fixer Upper my favorite song was I think it's Hooga because that bit when he's like Ooga, 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 Ooga. I think that's how you say it um that was my favorite song so we're talking about songs a little bit Let, let's talk about some of those songs so as Tash said you've got all of them well actually no that's not true um, most of the songs <laughs> that appear in the original movie with one missing and Tash will come on to talk about that in a minute because I know it was like a dagger to the heart for our friend Tash and then we've got a lot of new songs by the Anderson Lopez's who actually wrote the songs for the movie which is great I love to see that cohesive um casting there or um not casting but you know same, same people doing the music and lyrics which is, is great to see I did not enjoy any of the new songs. They were perfectly fine, but none of them stood out for me apart from Hooga, which is Oaken's song. And as Tash said, you know, it's very comical. You've got naked people coming out of the sauna. You can't help but love to, to you know, laugh at that scene. It's very much comic relief. So for me, Hooga was amazing, but I had a bit of an epiphany while we were on the train ride home. I thought, this is fantastic. I love it. It's so funny, you know, explaining this word. So for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, Hygge is spelt H-Y-G-G-E. I always thought it was Higgy. And it's a Scandinavian word. I think it's actually Norwegian. And it just means cozy. And you'll see a lot of influencers, a lot of Instagrammers will use this word. A lot of products. There's a nut butter that I buy from a small independent company in Brighton that's called Hygge spread it's a nice chocolatey caramel spread so it means comfortable and he explains all the things you know warm food sitting by a fire these are hygge feelings that they have in in Norway so I was like love that love that you know explaining what it is in English and there's that whole scene where he's like finding a spider in your shoe that's not hygge and you know he's explaining it all and then I realized we see this in Avenue Q with Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is the German word for laughing at someone's misfortune. And unless I am much mistaken, I am fairly sure that Robert Anderson Lopez wrote the music for Avenue Q, which means he probably penned Schadenfreude or is at least very familiar with it. So as much as I loved Hugo, 
As soon as I realized this, I was super disappointed that they just used the same formula. Let's find a word that's native to this country that we don't have in English and make a joke out of it. Yeah, definitely some inspiration going going on there. I never would have made that connection. It's been a very long time since I saw Avenue Q and I can't really remember it, it that well. So yeah, that was very well observed, Mercedes, I think there. Um, but yeah, in terms of other new songs, there weren't any that really stood out for me. I quite liked the song, I think it was called What Do You Know About Love, which was sung by Anna and Christoph. I liked that they had that together. But I do think that... The, they kind of put that in to help develop their relationship quickly and that was one part of the story that your mum picked up on as well um that was very rushed we didn't have like a nice development on like natural development of their romantic story it just it didn't feel very natural I don't think I don't think their chemistry was ne- necessarily brilliant but I really like the staging and the set for that song um but yeah the one bit that I was very disappointed by bitterly disappointed and it was probably my biggest flaw with the whole show is that they did not have um for the first time in forever the reprise which I love that bit it lends itself so well to the stage and I was so excited for that you have that bit where it builds and builds and I think I put it in my top songs when we did that and they have it in the fireworks at Shanghai and now in Paris and I just absolutely love that song and it baffles me why they decided not to put that in this version they replaced it with what did they replace it with they, they did a let it go reprise but i can't remember i don't the that, No, the let it go reprise i remember tapping you on the shoulder and saying did that happen i think yeah. it's probably a bar um but there was a ballad between the two of them that's that right really and then after the ballad they had the dialogue that they have during the first time in forever reprise so you know um can't escape from the storm inside of me you know all of those lyrics they just kind of said it and she blasted Anna and it was really weird there was a, a song actually I didn't mind this song this was new at the end they're all rushing around the stage Hans is trying to get to Elsa so he can kill her Elsa's running away from Hans Anna's running to Kristoff so she can have true love's kiss Kristoff's running to find Anna and you know they're all running across the stage in you know that sort of traditional pantomime thing that we see where they were coming out of different wings and that kind of thing and there was a moment in there where Frozen um Frozen Elsa hit that that note that I can't before she blasts Anna she hit that note and and I turned to you and I went oh maybe we're gonna get something similar here we didn't so yeah I was really I, I love the reprise of in the first for the first time in forever it's one of my favorite moments as well I was very disappointed but hey you know, we got Huga, we got some other moments. It's tit for tat. It can't be exactly the same. So shall we talk? You mentioned the set there during that. What do you know about love or what do you think about love? What do you think about things? That's what I was going to say. It wasn't that. I wish it had been that. Um, shall we talk about the set? Yes. Let's. So again, I was very, very impressed with the set. It had that magical element. So Elsa would touch a side and then the whole side would kind of light up and um turn into ice as it were around the whole stage and there was lots of magical elements so even in the beginning with the children when Elsa moved her hand and snowflakes would come down like even that was like how are they doing that it was very very clever um but yeah no the staging I thought was very very intricate very involved I like the amount of changes that they did obviously we had that bit where we had the the big staircase when she runs away and that kind of moved from one side to the other we also had some 
um I don't not interactive but we had some screens in the back that I don't know what what's the word where the screen was like moving do you know what I'm trying to say not really so like there was a bit I think it was when she ran away so you could see like twinkling lights and stuff on on the stage and even in the beginning before the show starts when you've got the frozen title there you've got some houses in the bottom and there were like smoke coming up off of the chimneys and things like that so they were like I don't know I, I don't know what the word is but yeah there was a lot of different elements to the staging um so yeah I thought it was really good there wasn't there wasn't any one part that I thought was particularly better than the other but I just thought the whole thing in terms of how many set changes they did the detailing I thought it was all really well done yeah, I mean, hey, anybody that listened to my review of Beauty and the Beast will know that my one critique of that show was the set. And I am so glad I saw that before this, because when I saw the sets here, my sister and I were laughing. Every time there was a new set reveal, she'd tap me and just go, Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, no, I know. Like, this made me realize how bad the sets were for Beauty and the Beast. But I am confident that that's because it's a tour the Theatre Royal Drury Lane is going to be Frozen's permanent home for a long time. So they can invest in those sets. And if we do get to see Beauty and the Beast in the West End, I'm sure that, you know, the sets will be just as impressive. Completely agree with you. I was blown away. My favourite setting was the interior of Elsa's Ice Palace with those twinkly droplets. They're very similar to the droplets that we actually see in the movie when I think Sven's horns get all kind of caught up in them. That that moment didn't happen, obviously, but I loved that. So yeah, the twinkliness and the way that Elsa's dress the, the you know, the crystals and everything on the dress kind of bounced off the light. Incredible. I mean, the costumes themselves were absolutely fantastic. I think Elsa's wardrobe was definitely the best. That's who you want to be if, you know, you're in the show and costumes your big thing. So, yeah, I was really, really impressed. My sister turned to me. She said, this is the best magic I've ever seen in a West End production. I would disagree. But that's only because I've seen Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and there are some like really clever effects in that that just the mind boggles. But aside from Harry Potter, if you've not seen that, I would agree with my sister. The magic was so impressive. We've got to talk about Elsa's dress reveal in Let It Go. So again, I've seen this dress reveal done in California Adventure and it's, especially for a Disney show, it's a little bit clunky. The lights do dim for a short second so that you can't, quite see what's happening as I say it really is a short second but even still the fact that this dress changed and it was a real blink and you'll miss it moment I was waiting for it so I was at the edge of my seat you know eyes wide open but you said you were so ingrained in the song that you'd forgotten about it and you were a bit like oh no no go back do it again I kind of you know I wasn't ready for that it was it was a split second wasn't it it was fantastic and I've also seen even the Broadway version, I've watched the dress change on Broadway and it's slightly different as well. They, this was this was very different. Sometimes she comes out and, you know, she's looking more like Quasimodo than Elsa. She's got this big hunch on the back and you're like, that's obviously, the, you know, the dress is going to disappear. There was none of that. She turned around, we saw her back. It was fantastic. Yeah, it, it did very much catch me off guard. I definitely wanted to go back and see that, that bit again because, yeah, it just, it, it kind of flies off her, gets pulled off her. But it's in such a clever way. And it's so, it is literally, as you say, blink and you'll miss it. It happens in a second. And then she is just there in the blue sparkly number. And yeah, it's, it's, it's amazingly well done. Yeah. And that blue sparkly number, 
I've seen it at California Adventure on stage. I've seen it at meet and greets with Elsa in, in Disneyland. That was the best blue sparkly number version I've ever seen. I've never, ever in any West End production, I have never seen a gown that I've wanted to wear so much in my life. The slit as well was really high. I was like, yes, Elsa. It was very, very sexy and empowering. And it was just so twinkly. Yeah. I mean, let's wrap up a little bit. If you had to give this show, you know, uh, let's go for a 10, right? Where would you put it? And and where would you place it in accordance with, you know, Hamilton, Mary Poppins, some of the shows you've seen recently that we've been reviewing? So Hamilton is obviously a 10 out of 10. Mary Poppins, I can't remember what I gave, um, but I would put Frozen. It's, I mean, nothing is as good as Hamilton in my eyes. It was better than Mary Poppins. I would give it, I'd give it, I'd definitely give it an eight, maybe an 8.5. Yeah. An 8.5. Oh. Let's be generous. That's really strong. And and what about Lion King? Can you, can you remember, I can't remember when you saw Lion King. Can you remember that to place that as well? I saw Lion King a good 10 years ago. I would probably give the Lion King. I, I preferred this to the Lion King. So I'd probably give the Lion King a 7.5. Nice. Okay. I definitely preferred this to the Lion King. I definitely preferred it to Aladdin as well. For me, Hamilton is always the best as well. But interestingly, I think depending on who you're going with, like if you're not super into Hamilton, I think you have to be into Hamilton to go and see Hamilton. It's a lot of money. I wouldn't just go in. A lot of people say, oh, I haven't seen Hamilton. I might go and book tickets. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We've spoken about this. Listen to the soundtrack. So let's let's take Hamilton out of it, I guess, because it's unfair, isn't it? It kind of, yeah, it's a very different beast. So for me... It's definitely better than The Lion King. It's definitely better than Aladdin, like no question. I actually enjoyed Beauty and the Beast more. I think that there are more songs in Beauty and the Beast that I really enjoy. I think the story is better. I mean, you've had a problem with the story for Frozen for a long time. I personally haven't. But actually, I think that this show kind of highlighted it a little bit. So, yeah, the acting and the talent was on par with Beauty and the Beast. The sets and the costumes were definitely more impressive in this. But I actually think I'd say Beauty and the Beast is slightly better. And it wasn't even West End. It was an Edinburgh tour, a UK tour. So I think if you're thinking about a show to book for right now and you want to do a Disney musical in the West End, not including Hamilton, maybe you've got kids, I'd pick Frozen, 100%. But if in the future... There's the option of Beauty and the Beast. I'd maybe pick Beauty and the Beast out of the two. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I would. Obviously, Beauty and the Beast is one of my favourite movies, favourite Disney stories. I would always pick Beauty and the Beast. I think the fact that, or the the reason I rated Frozen so high is because, as you say, I'm not a massive Frozen fan in general. It's not one of my favourite movies, so I think I was very pleasantly surprised by this. And I think when you are surprised, you know, it does make you rate things higher so I think that's why I've given it such a high rating nice I realized I didn't actually give it a number I would go if we're saying Hamilton's a 10 Beauty and the Beast for me was like maybe an 8.5 I mark things more harshly than you Aladdin's like a six Lion King for me is a five I'd give this an eight I'd say Beauty and the Beast is an 8.5 and this is an eight 
Yeah, that I think that that fits. Yeah, harsher with the Lion King of Five. I think that's much better than Aladdin. I'd do it the other way around. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, I stand by that. I think that because for me, a five is average. I don't see five as bad, right? A five is average. And for me, the Lion King is very average and the Aladdin is slightly better than average. I thought the majority of Aladdin was decent. It was just a few moments that were a bit, ugh, bit cheesy. So yeah, for me, Aladdin slightly better than average. I, Lion King's very average and it's sad actually. Maybe, maybe we need to go back and revisit the Lion King. I've seen it twice. I saw it when I was a little girl and it first came out. And I, I wasn't that interested. And then I saw it again as an adult woman thinking, oh, do you know what? It's not fair to put it in that pocket. Like, you know, my appetite for, for things may have changed. I might appreciate the puppetry, the artistry more. And I've said it once, I'll say it again. The highlight is the circle of life. And then it just plummets. You you don't want your best, your strongest moment to be your opening because where do you go from there? So I, yeah, for me, it's very, very average. Mercedes also hates the Lion King as well. It's so uh, very. That's not true. That is. Not I know. I'm winding you up. I'm winding you up. But you're not its biggest fan going in anyway. I I really like. That's not true. I really like the Lion King, and I do think it's one of the best Disney movies of all time. What I don't like about it is how overhyped it is. Okay. Fine. So that pretty much concludes everything we're going to be talking about with Frozen, the musical. I mean, obviously we could go on and on and on and talk about so much more, but we're not going to. Um, so yeah, do get in touch and let us know what you thought if you have seen it or if you are seeing it. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Chat Disney. Or you can find us on Twitter. We love a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at Chat Disney UK. And now I can tell that Tash is on the edge of her seat. She's been wanting to talk about this for weeks. She looks like she's going to burst. We are doing a full dive into Disney Plus and their brand new Frozen offering. We got this on Disney Plus Day. We're talking all about Olaf Presents. So I feel like that with this, we don't really need to be too concerned about being spoiler free because, hey, if you have Disney Plus and you wanted to watch Olaf Presents, you've probably seen it by now. They're literally like 40 second clips and there's only five of them. So they're very, very easy to watch. So if you haven't seen them, pause this and go and watch them right now. So when they announced that they were doing Olaf Presents, we were both very, very excited. Obviously, it's a play on that bit from Frozen 2 where Olaf recaps what happened in Frozen 1. And it is that genius comedy moment. It's one of my favourite, funniest bits in any Disney movie. Just the way that he tells the story and like he incorporates bits of, I don't know, bits of the world around him to capture different characters like when he does the troll he just has some grass on his head it's so funny and he's so deadpan with parts of it as well like when he when he's talking about Anna and Elsa's parents going off and then it's just the parents are dead like it's it's so there's so many adult bits in it I just I love it so I was very very excited when they announced that they were doing Olaf Presents my biggest disappointment with Olaf Presents is that there's only five of them there is not enough so we've got the Little Mermaid we've got Aladdin um, Moana, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, Tangled, and The Lion King. Am I missing one? Aladdin. Did you say Aladdin? Yeah, five. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So there's there's five of them. So there's not very many. I'm hoping that they are going to release more because I feel like you could do the entire Disney classic catalogue with this and it would not get old or boring. Um, for me, I have to say, 
it does go slightly downhill after the first one. So the first one is The Little Mermaid, which to me is arguably the best, not just because I'm biased, because I love The Little Mermaid, but I think that is that one is so good at capturing the comedy. The way he does his portrayal of Ursula as well is genius. Like I just I have nothing negative to say about these shorts. Yeah, I agree that The Little Mermaid is the best one and it's not a favourite movie of mine. So I think you can say that confidently and unbiasedly is the best one. It's hilarious. Interestingly, you all know that Moana is something I'm not that big a fan of. And is it just me or did the Moana one really highlight how random that film is? I watched these shorts with Grumpy and he's only seen Moana once and he went, I just, I couldn't follow that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That's because it's like, I don't know if you felt this too, but the Little Mermaid, the Lion King, Aladdin, Tangled, they've got their very nice storybook narratives. The Moana one, it was like, what? What the hell? Like, it it was so dysfunctional. And I was like, yeah, because the storyline of that movie is just so chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. I also thought it was a really random one for them to do as well I think they should have stuck more with kind of the renaissance movies like why I would have loved to have seen his storytelling of Pocahontas or Mulan again would have been a great one to do Moana I mean I guess I guess you've got a lot of you know the little kids now that have grown up with Frozen and Frozen was probably the first Disney movie that they saw they're probably also going to be big fans of Moana because it came out not that long after I want to say maybe it was quite a while after my timeline always gets thrown off with these things um so yeah I guess that that's why they incorporated Moana but yeah I completely agree it did feel very very random it's like what like the little mermaid one Aladdin yeah you can get the storyline the Moana one is like what what is going on here with this movie I've seen this movie and I don't even understand this short yeah and I don't I don't blame Olaf for that I think as I say it's it's a very I I wouldn't be able to summarize the plot of Moana and I'm an adult woman that you know I it, it is confusing the obvious one for me and you're going to be like oh yeah like Beauty and the Beast yeah why yeah exactly why was that one not there it seems like the most obvious one to do I I would love to have seen Olaf playing the beast yeah or Gaston yes yeah this is why they have to do more of these they must have more up their sleeve I think so I think they can't go you know it's a bit like Drag Race when RuPaul casts Drag Race there's always some queens that you know are going to go out in the first week because they can't just have 12 amazing drag queens because you know you can't go in too strong right so I think that they're saving you know your Cinderella your Snow White Beauty and the Beast Peter Pan Alice in Wonderland like that they would be again it's these these classic fairy tale narratives that have got a very sort of linear storyline and with a strong sort of beginning middle and end that I think will will lend themselves but I think that Olaf Presents is absolute genius if you haven't already watched the interview that he did on Graham Norton if you're living in the UK he did a fantastic interview I think it was the same episode as Lady Gaga and Adam Driver so definitely one to go back and watch and Josh Gad himself said that it was actually his idea so because he did a lot of kind of Olaf content during lockdown he was like hey I can record the voice from home super simply and everybody loves that moment in Frozen 2 where we have the recap of what's happened in Frozen and there's actually a moment after the film's finished isn't there where he does he tell the story of Frozen 2 or something so you know they've really pushed this and stretched this and the audience has responded 
let's try this. And, you know, I can imagine it was relatively low risk. It's gone straight to Disney Plus, so they've not got to pay, you know, to have it streamed or showcased anywhere. Josh Gad can do his part from home, as as they've said, and you just need a couple of animators to, you know, animate Olaf. It's it's not a huge cast. The backdrop is the same for most of it. it it's like a no-brainer. Definitely. And I'd love, I'd love to know the process because I don't think he spoke about this correct me if I'm wrong but I would love to know the process like does he does he sit at home and almost just recap the films and then they do the animation afterwards I imagine I don't imagine it's scripted I imagine that he just sits at home and does a couple of different versions like as Olaf regaling the tale of the story and then I guess that they animate it afterwards it's just genius yeah, it has to be that. And the thing is with Josh Gad, nobody knows Olaf. Nobody knows that character as well as Josh Gad. He's probably sends them, you know, two hours worth of material that they can then dissect and, and pull out the bits that they want to. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think that that's probably the way that it happens. It's it's probably Josh Gad just, you know, telling the story in 10 different ways, sending it across, then being like, yep, this bit works, you know, can you redo that, whatever, and then and then putting the animation together. They're absolutely brilliant. And, you know, if we've, if we've not said it enough, the Frozen musical is fantastic in London's West End. Olaf Presents is awesome and is on Disney Plus right now. So if you've not checked it out, go and give it a watch. I think to watch the whole thing, they're what, like five minutes each? Like it's half an hour of your life you're never going to regret dedicating to our favorite snowman so yeah i mean it we've definitely got frozen fever here on the chat disney podcast right now it's december what better way to kick off our festive season than with a lot of frozen content absolutely and we will be back next week same time same place the same place with some more christmasy content for you absolutely and as tash said please do get in touch we love listening to you guys as well you know you listen to us every week why not get some user feedback and if you haven't already please do go and give us a rating on the apple podcast app if that's what you listen or your podcast app of choice whatever whatever you listen on as it helps boost our engagement and gets more people listening to the podcast bye for now thank you thank you goodbye now goodbye goodbye thank you goodbye